uh, back at it. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast on October 13th. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Colby, how are we doing today? Just the worst. I mean, is Baylor not just the worst? Sorry, you were muted there for a second. Were you saying Baylor is the worst? Baylor is the worst. Oh, I totally agree. Yeah, I would be doing I a lot have, I have so much to say on that, but yes, my first reaction was... Of course. Of course it's Baylor. Yeah, of course it's Baylor. Of course every other team in the Power Five. It's not just the Big 12. Every other team in the Power Five has it figured out. And Baylor has played one game. It's going to be October 24th before Baylor plays its second game because for whatever reason, they can't figure it out. And their athletic director wants to come out yesterday and blame the size of the visitor's locker room in West Virginia. Please stop. Oh, I missed that. Oh, I yeah. missed that. Oh, I'm, I'm yeah. glad you told me about that. Yeah. Now, like, they're not the only one now. Yeah, in the, the size no, of the locker room. That's that's embarrassing. And uh, I guess Vanderbilt and Missouri games now postponed. So they're not the only one. But they're definitely the only oh, one in the Big 12, which is – I didn't see that. Which it just happened, I think, last yesterday. But, gotcha. But, again, and we'll get into this, but there's only one team – there's only one program in the Big 12 that keeps on keeps on keeps on bringing shame to the league. And it's, and it's Baylor. So we're going to get to that. But first, let's hear from Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop on Campus Corner. You can shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. Get all your OSU gear. Who knows, Colby? They might be printing uh, Big 12 championship T-shirts this year. Did you ever get one in 2011 when they were when they won? Uh, I did not get one in 2011. I actually did, from Chris's, get a uh, Fiesta Bowl shirt. Okay. Yeah. After the game was won, I never buy the bowl shirts before the game. No. Because if you lose the bowl game, then you look like a chump walking around in your bowl <laughs> shirt. So I never buy the bowl shirt until after the game. I totally agree. I saw a guy one time. He was wearing the the Oklahoma versus Georgia Rose Bowl hat with like the date on it. No. Nope. And I'm like, if you're an OU fan, he clearly was like. Do you want to be reminded of that every time you wear that hat? It's like one of the most soul-crushing losses in program history. Yeah, I mean, my favorite is you used to see people walking around, OU fans again, we'll pick on them. We used to see OU fans walk around wearing the, uh, gosh, I don't even remember which bowl it was, but it was the USC game where they lost 55-19. to Oh, it was the Orange Bowl, yeah. Yeah, Orange Bowl, yeah. People walking around (laughs) wearing their OU-USC Orange Bowl shirts, and I'm like, dude. yeah. You don't, you don't ever buy the bowl shirt before the bowl because it could be very bad memories. But if they do win the Fiesta Bowl again this year or the Big 12 Championship, you can go to Chris University Spirit. They'll knock those out. I got my dad a Big 12 Championship t-shirt when they won in 2011 because I was like, Dad, this might not happen again the rest of your lifetime. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to give this to you just so you can uh, bask in the glory. So go to ChrisUniversitySpirit.com and do all your shopping needs. Let's get to the first five, Colby. You touched on it at the beginning. Uh, OSU Baylor postponed. Uh, Baylor has just completely botched this situation. They have 32 active student-athlete positives, 28 are football players, and 14 are football staff members that are also positives. And before you go, Colby, I, I went on Crashing the Boards on Sunday, and I was very careful with how I prefaced this because people can can hear something and and take it out of context and take it the wrong direction that I'm going in. I'm just saying at a certain point, 
you know, look, we're all dealing with COVID. OSU's had positive cases. OSU's had games postponed. Kansas State almost had to postpone theirs against Oklahoma. I'm not absolving the rest of the league and saying they're doing anything perfect. I'm not saying that. There's lots of positives going around. We're all dealing with this. But you're Baylor, and at a certain point, you lose all benefit of the doubt for your as an administration and as an athletic department. I mean, as you said, Colby, no other team in the Big 12 has had to postpone a game. No other team has had to cancel a game. They, this is the second game that it's been Baylor's cases that have forced a postponement. And, you, and I don't have to go over all the other missteps that Baylor's had throughout their time. I mean, we all know the, the Art Bryles situation, the basketball program. Scott Drew has been hit by the NCAA for recruiting, and he's been accused of recruiting for a long time by other coaches. But so it's clear Baylor is willing to cut corners. That's That's been proven. They're, they're not willing to do things the right way. And all they've done is bring shame to this conference for the most part. They, they won a conference title with Art Bryles, but at what cost? So I, again, I just, my first reaction was, of course it's Baylor. They never have their act together. And the fact that they have this many cases, Colby, to me is just incredible. And shame on Baylor. And now Oklahoma State's stuck with it. But I'll let you go. I'll, I'll keep rambling about Baylor. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for them to have 28 active football player cases and 14 cases on the staff, I, I don't see how you could look at that number of cases and not think that there had to be some breakdown in protocol because everything that we've come to know about this virus, all of the protocols that are now in place, we've even seen it in the NFL. Cam Newton got it. The Patriots didn't come down with 42 cases. Stephon Gilmore got it. You know, 40 other people didn't get cases. Somebody in Tennessee got it, and they had a handful of cases, and they had to postpone one game. But, you know, it, it didn't run rampant with 40 people through the, throughout the program getting it. Oklahoma State right now has three active cases. It didn't turn into 42. So I, I think at some point Baylor is going to have to answer questions, and I don't know who they answer to, but somebody needs to ask, was there a breakdown in protocol? Were y'all, you know, running around doing things that you shouldn't have been doing? Were, were people – too close, not wearing masks at practice, whatever the case may be, where was the breakdown that led to such an outbreak? Because if five guys get it, you can still play. But if you've got 42 people between players and staff with COVID, obviously you can't take the field. And I'm just worried that if that many people have it right now, what, what are the numbers going to be on Friday or on Sunday? Right. This week? Are they going to have 70 active cases and have to postpone next week's game? I just – I think that this is headed – in a bad direction with Baylor just because of the sheer volume of cases. Right. And if you want to sit here and argue, well, Carson Colby, they're, they're college students. They're just on campus. Like I, you, you can blame the, the students and players all you want, but this falls at the feet of the coaches and the administration. Like I, you mentioned OSU's cases. OSU's done an amazing job with this. Mike Gundy has done an amazing job coaching up his players to not put themselves in harmful situations. They've already had bye weeks where they've been able to go home. You would think OSU players would have had far more positives if they had, you know, gone home and, and broken protocol and not been careful. Well, clearly they've been coached up the right way. Clearly Baylor has not. Clearly their administration has not coached up the players, coached up their staff, and they're doing it the wrong way. So, and if you think I'm, I'm being hard on, on Baylor, like you mentioned Tennessee, Clearly, they weren't doing things the right way because they they became the pariah of the league. Like, yeah. there, were, there were teams and, and, and coaches and, and administration people in the NFL that wanted Tennessee to forfeit games for the way they handled stuff. 
And I think that's where we're heading with Baylor. If they if they have like 50 cases next game they're supposed to play. Like they've already pushed Oklahoma State's game back to, what is it, December 19th? December 12th. December and then 12th. Big 12 championship, December 19th. Right. But if Oklahoma State's in the Big 12 championship game, they might just scrap it all together. So now there is no wiggle room for Baylor. There's very little wiggle room for the rest of the Big 12. This is why they built in bye weeks, though. It, it came at a good time for for the league with Oklahoma State on bye and, and I guess coming off bye. But I don't know, Colby. Like, what do you, what's your what's your viewpoint on just the scheduling now with this game being pushed till you know late December? I mean, I, the, the Big 12 has very little wiggle room left now because of Baylor. Yeah, I think that uh, first off, I think the conference made a mistake by not pretty heavily backloading bye weeks. I think that they should have given themselves more wiggle room than just December 12th to get extra games made up. But but also, there are some bye weeks that you could make this work. Like, I, I don't understand immediately just moving this thing to December 12th because you also had the option. So on November 14th, Oklahoma State's off and Baylor is at Tech. But then the following week is Bedlam and Baylor and Tech are both off. They both have bye weeks. So why not move Baylor and Tech to November 21st and move OSU Baylor to November 14th? That seems much more simple because then you still leave yourself another open date in the future on December 12th in the event that you need it because somebody else has postponements. And, and at some point, but, but the problem is I don't think that they're going to end up making Baylor forfeit any games because let's say three weeks down the line, or let's say for that Baylor-Texas Tech game, let's say Baylor can't play against Texas Tech on the 14th or the 21st. Well, now if you make Baylor forfeit that game, well, how's that fair to Oklahoma State that Tech got the free win and Oklahoma State didn't get the free win? So I feel like if a team ends up playing less than 10 games, then they'll just take their winning percentage and that will determine uh, where they fall in the conference's winning percentage. But I I, I still think that they should have backloaded the buys a little more heavy. I, I don't think Oklahoma State should have had a buy scheduled in on October 10th. No, that's a good point. I hadn't I hadn't quite thought about that. And really, they had a buy. Didn't they have a buy like right after Tulsa? Or wait, um, maybe. Or no. Why am I getting my weeks confused now? Maybe yeah. they didn't. I mean, I've already lost track of Oklahoma State's schedule because they've already been off so long. Now they're going to be off. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's impossible two, three to keep weeks. it straight. I just want football. That's it. Well, how do you how do you view now? This is a this is another curveball for Mike Gundy. I mean, they already had one with the Tulsa game getting postponed. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of in terms of a bye week. Yeah, because they played. No, they haven't had an actual bye week yet. They just had that postponement with Tulsa. That's what I was thinking of. But this is another curveball for Mike Gundy, Colby. I mean, they're going to have three straight weeks of practice before they kick off. I mean, they've already had a bye week. They're going to have a bye week this week, and then they practice all week leading into the game against Iowa State. That That's almost like another mini fall camp. I mean, and Colby, you played sports. Like, there's nothing worse than knowing you're practicing for three three weeks without a game. Like, practice sucks. Nobody wants to practice, well, especially the, the in game, big-time college football. Yeah, the game is your reward for practicing and that reward just isn't coming right now for Oklahoma state. So they're like you said, just having to continue to practice. So not only is it going to be three weeks without a game, but then you're going to have Oklahoma state with, with one off Saturday between October 24th. And if they play in the big 12 championship, December 19th, they'll have one off Saturday on November 14th, assuming that that date doesn't get filled with some sort of reschedule. So 
it's I, I think uh, another thing is that if Oklahoma State and Baylor play on December 12th and no other school in the Big 12 does, then whoever Oklahoma State would hypothetically, theoretically face in the Big 12 championship will be coming off a bye week, and Oklahoma State will be coming off its fifth consecutive game headed into its sixth consecutive game. So, uh, again, another scheduling disadvantage for Oklahoma State. And their schedule is is backloaded. I mean, I guess more so middle-loaded with Texas, Iowa State, K-State, Oklahoma, all kind of back-to-back-to-back weeks. So that's it's going to be a challenge. Again, I, I think Gundy's done a great job getting this team through, you know, the pandemic, getting them ready to play these games. But, man, now you can look at the other side, too. I guess it's another week, another two weeks for three weeks, really, for Spencer Sanders to get to get healthy. But I, I think yeah. he's pretty much – he was going to be ready to play against Baylor. So I don't think there's uh, any great deal there. But I guess it, it is another chance to get more reps for Illingworth, who's played really well. But, man, it's – it's a fiasco. And again, shame on Baylor for not doing a better job with this. Everyone's dealing with it. I mean, I'm, I'm not sitting here saying the players at Baylor should be ashamed, but I think their administration's done a poor job handling this. And it's just another case of Baylor bringing shame upon the league. That's just the way I view it. Yeah, I noticed the Carolina Panthers have not had any outbreaks because Matt Rule has his head screwed on straight. The only good administration <laughs> at Baylor in the last decade has been the Matt Rule administration. Man, he's a big-time coach, isn't he? He is the man. <laughs> he's instantly made the Panthers, like, respectable. Instantly. Not, I mean, not even respectable. I'm looking at that team and thinking, these guys can play. Like, Teddy can play. They've got a good defense. And their win total in Vegas was five and a half before the season. It's pretty remarkable. Well, they were thought to have the worst defense in the league. But Rule is such a good coach yeah. <laughs> that they're no longer the, that way. And he's the first – I think he's the first coach slash team – to use every single draft pick on defense. That was his first draft with the Panthers. They didn't draft one offensive player, which is so yeah. on brand. Well, because they went out and got Teddy, they and he looks good, man. And good for him. He almost lost yeah. his leg a few years ago. And he good was so him. good back then, too. Yeah. So, anyway, that's that's OSU Baylor. Uh, we'll, we'll have to figure out way, ways to talk about uh, OSU without without football for the next couple of weeks. So, th- thanks a lot, Baylor. We really appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, number two, Colby. Uh, we're going to talk some OU Texas, just our reactions on the game, because it, it does affect the Big 12 championship odds, does affect the Big 12 standings. I know some OSU fans get pissed when we talk about OU, but I'm sorry, it's OU Texas, and OSU hadn't played a game. So we're, we're going to talk a little bit about it. I thought Colby in the first half was like one of the more embarrassing games for OU and Texas collectively. It was just embarrassing, hilariously bad football. And then OU played really well in the second half. And then for the third straight game, just collapses in the fourth quarter. And, man, if they had lost that game, Lincoln Riley would have had so much heat, so many questions. They would be 0-3 in the Big 12. And I think due in large part to some of the decisions he made in the second half. It was just a crazy game. Yeah, I I really thought that we saw two pretty average teams. Uh, I think the ceiling for OU is higher. I think OU has a high ceiling and a low floor because they have so much talent that, you know, if they play a perfectly clean game and they don't make mistakes, yeah, they can roll through anybody in the Big 12. But also they're so young and they're so mistake prone. I mean, they had like 11 penalties for 121 yards in that game. They were turning the ball over, sloppy. Uh, And for whatever reason, OU gets in the fourth quarter and this group of guys, uh, and when I say this group of guys, that includes the young players and that includes the head coach. It's like they are just allergic to winning plays down the stretch of a game 
Now, they made it happen in the overtime, but I want to address a very serious situation, Carson, and that is the fact that it is Tuesday morning and Tom Herman still has his job, which, (laughs) Carson, I was ready at halftime. I was ready to fire Tom Herman, and he he can find his own way back to Austin. He can call an Uber for all (laughs) I care. And after the game, when he had OU's defense so gassed, so on their heels, just – falling over themselves at the end of regulation and he doesn't go for two when they're moving the ball at 15 yards of play and they've just gotten down and scored easily. He played not to lose. He coached scared. He had three fourth and ones. He punted on all three fourth and oh, one. He coached scared. The game was there to win and he refused to go win it. I, I don't know. I, maybe Ellinger comes back for another year and they bring Herman back with him. Herman is just so arrogant, and, you know, I mean, you've been down at Big 12 Media Days with him, just oh, yeah. being in the same room as him. He's just – he's arrogant. He's annoying. I don't like him. I, I, I think it's pretty clear now that he's not a good coach, I, not a Texas-caliber coach anyway. I, I think him still having a job is a disaster for Texas. I totally agree. I, it's this is the end of the road for him and I totally agree like the first instance like they had Texas on their heels when they scored to end like OU was shell-shocked they had scored 14 points to tie the game I kick to end regulation really okay I do because you have a senior quarterback going up against a, a freshman that was benched in the first half OU was not gaining any yards on offense they were totally wilting totally in a shell but once we got into the second, third overtime, it was pretty clear that that Riley had his number and they were going to score every time they had the ball. And here's the other thing, Colby, to your point about the two-point conversions. Oklahoma hasn't stopped the Sam Ellinger quarterback power game down the goal line in four years. He goes in untouched every time they call that. I'm calling that in the second or third overtime. It's like, guys, we're not stopping OU. Sam, just go run the ball in the end zone. They're not going to tackle you. That's it's pretty clear that that was going to happen. Like it was an easy. E- Tom Herman has four years of tape to go back. Look, you can you can pull up all the tape. Sam Ellinger has run power right or power left, and virtually gone in untouched every time against Oklahoma. They have no answer for it, and he was too scared to call it once it got to th- second, third, fourth overtime. So I, I'm with you, man. And, and again. I think Tom Herman has failed Texas more so. They don't have a plan on offense. They don't have a plan on defense. And they frankly don't have any difference makers on their entire roster, despite all these stars that they get. I mean, Sam Ellinger ran or passed on 76 of the 87 plays. So basically, it's basically like a little league team or a frat league team where you have a really good quarterback. You just tell them to go run around and make something happen because no one else is good enough to, to help. I mean, he, where is the – this is Texas. Where is the stud running back over the past four years under Tom Herman? Where is the stud receivers? Where is the offensive line that used to be scary from Texas? They don't have any impressive football players. I mean, that, that's the bottom line, and that, that ultimately falls on, on Tom Herman. But what do you think of Lincoln Riley's decision to – there's several – but how about the third down where he passed it, which stopped the clock and gave Texas, uh, you know, two full minutes. You're, you like to be aggressive, so maybe you like that call, but he's getting a lot of heat for that. Yeah, I, so Lincoln Riley, I think, for the first three quarters of a football game is as good of a coach 
as there is anywhere. And then for whatever reason, he he coaches differently when the game gets tight in the fourth quarter. He he goes away from what's working. He, he, he tries to trick people and does a bunch of weird stuff. And I, I don't know. It just that call specifically didn't bother me. It, it wouldn't have bothered me if he ran it. Um, I, I thought that they could have done some things to help them win the game earlier in the fourth quarter. Uh, and even in the third quarter, I just think that when OU gets ahead by two touchdowns, they, they don't continue to keep their foot on the gas pedal. They're not trying to run somebody out of the building. They're just trying to make sure they don't mess it up late in the game and end up losing. And that's not what OU is. I mean, when OU gets ahead, OU's ready to, you know, stomp on your throat and run you out of the building and you're embarrassed when you leave. That's what OU's always been. And, and now, for whatever reason, it's like when they get up, it's like, all right, let's just not screw this up. Let's just get to the final horn. Nobody make any mistakes and we'll get out of here. That's not how you win football games. We saw that. We saw it against Kansas State. We saw it against Texas uh, on Saturday. I've actually got the Texas OU game pulled up right now. It's on Fox Sports 2. Uh, it's in the first quarter. I'm watching it if anybody wants to rewatch. But the, the third and nine call, I mean, if you get it, the game's over. Um, and they really have not stopped Austin Stogner most of the day. You know, if if Texas has a minute 10 as opposed to a minute 50, are they still going to score? Maybe. I, I don't know. That, that didn't absolutely drive me crazy. Um, I just think in general, the the lack of willingness to just step on somebody's throat and finish them is something that we just haven't seen from OU. So it's been a little, little shocking to see that under Riley. He does have a fourth quarter problem. I mean, go all the way back to the Rose Bowl. They're just destroying Georgia. Game gets tight, late third quarter, early fourth. And then they just kind of sat on the lead and just hung on for dear life. And that's that's what he did against Texas. And do you remember the 2018 Bedlam game in Norman with, with Corndog at the helm? I mean, yeah. OSU comes storming back and Oklahoma ends up scoring 14 points in the entire second half with Kyler Murray with an offense that was like averaging eight yards per play. So no, that's, that's something that I think this OSU defense can really give him some problems. And if they get, if they get Bedlam this year into a late game situation, I, I think Riley tends to lose his mind, frankly. I mean, Tom Herman, I thought, I thought maybe the most fireable offense by him was when he called timeout on the fourth and one from the goal line and Lincoln Riley oh. called a pass. He oh, called a play yeah. action pass. It wasn't even fourth and one. I mean, the ball, the nose of the ball was nearly touching the goal line. It's as close to the goal line as you can be. And they're going to run play action. And somebody, I guess, in the timeout said, hey, coach, this is a bad idea. Let's just sneak it because that's a guaranteed touchdown. And then they did that and ended up winning the game. They said, if coach, they run play action. They oh. said, coach, everyone was covered. That was a horrible call. Let's do something else, like a quarterback sneak. Like, again, that – I think you're. I think he does coach it differently. I mean, does he ever in a million years do that when they're rolling? I don't think so. Yeah. I think he was overthinking it, just like he did with whew, several other things. Lincoln Riley's a great coach, but let he, me before he had one of his on. worst Saturdays maybe since he's been the head coach. Yeah, let me before we move on. Let me just make fun of Texas one more time because I've got Texas record uh, against some other Big Twelve schools since 2010. So since 2010, Texas. Is two and seven against TCU, three and nine against Oklahoma, three and seven against Oklahoma State, four and four against West Virginia, and five and five against both Baylor and Kansas State. Texas is also five and twelve against Power Five non-conference opponents, excluding bowl games, uh, since 2010. So Texas 
in the last decade decade has been an absolute embarrassment. They are not an elite college football program. They are a has-been helmet logo program who keeps telling you that they're good and they won't show you that they're good. They talk it, but they can't walk it. I'm done with Texas. I'm done with the Horns. They're a bad football team. We, we've got to stop giving them credit at some point just for having that logo on their helmets. They're basically Tennessee. You know, this 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 program that you, you yeah. think is supposed to be great. You know, they wear a shade of orange. They both start with the letter T. They got 100,000 people in their stands, and they're not any good at football. They have a hard time getting bowl eligible. And at a certain point, you know, they hired – two of the best candidates in the country at the time. Charlie Strong was the hottest name in college football. Tom Herman was the hottest name in college football. At a certain point, it's, it's your, it's your program. It's not the head coach. And there's, there's a lot of politics that go involved with being the head coach there. But the fact that Oklahoma state is, I think Oklahoma state, I think is seven and three against them. Yes. Yep. Uh, is what you said. So yeah, that's that, right. credit to Mike Gundy. But again, I, at a certain point, Texas, that's, it's kind of who you are. So with that insane OU Texas game in the rear view, the, uh, the updated odds for the big 12 championship are out. Who's going to win the big 12 title, Oklahoma, despite two losses, still the betting favorite at plus plus one forty-five, followed by Iowa state, Oklahoma state, somehow Texas is ahead of Kansas state. I don't understand these odds, but I guess Kansas state did lose their quarterback. Maybe that's the reasoning, but your thoughts on uh, Oklahoma still being the favorite? Yeah, as a as a sports gambling junkie, I think one thing that's important for people to remember is that odds are not always set just based on who they think's going to uh, come out on top. Sure. Odds are oftentimes set based on where the money's going to come in, and everybody knows that if they went out and put OU at seven to one right now to win the Big Twelve championship, the Vegas would have a liability on that end. Because <laughs> a bunch of people would say, oh, look at the value I'm getting on OU. And they'd run out and bet it. So that doesn't surprise me in the slightest that OU is that high or that Texas is ahead of Kansas State because those are the teams that people like to bet. But it does surprise me a little bit that Iowa State, after the season opening loss to Louisiana, I, I know that they've beaten TCU and Oklahoma since then, but it still surprises me that with that on their resume that they have better odds to win the Big 12 than Oklahoma State does. That was the bit that surprised me. I agree. I mean, ex- to your point, obviously they already lost in the non-conference and they have some, they have some tough games coming up too. But again, I think Oklahoma state has been impressive, but Iowa state did beat Oklahoma. So maybe that's, that's gotta be the only reason, right? That they would be above them. Now I'm trying to look at these schedules, you know, Kansas state loses Skylar Thompson. That's huge. Cause I thought Kansas state looked like, perhaps yeah. the best team in the league so far. I mean, they win, they win in Norman and then they win in Fort Worth. You know, that, that was pretty impressive. You know, it's a pretty impressive start to your big 12 portion of your schedule. They go to West K state goes to West Virginia, OSU at home at Iowa state at Baylor, Texas at home. That that's, that's a pretty good schedule for K state. But again, without Skylar Thompson, they're going to have to go to a freshman quarterback. So I, I tend to think that might be, you know, the end for, for K-State. We'll have to wait and see. But Iowa State has – they go to Stillwater. That's another reason I think Colby to put OSU's odds maybe slightly ahead of, of Iowa State is they get Iowa State at home. And then they go to yeah, Kansas, at- Baylor, K-State at home. At Basically, they have at OSU, at Texas, and then they get, they get 
kind of the bottom half of the league at home plus K-State. Yeah, as you were kind of working through that there, it, it kind of hit me. I think the reason that Iowa State has better odds than Oklahoma State is very simple. They've already gotten through OU. I, I, I mean, I, I think it's yeah. probably that simple. Vegas knows that for whatever reason, Oklahoma State has hell getting through Oklahoma. And that game is still on the schedule, and that game's in the rear view for Iowa State. So uh, I think that's probably why that sits where it does. But, I mean, that conversation will come to an end next Saturday on who should be higher in the odds. Somebody's going to win that game next week, and that team uh, will have the – well, depending on what OU does, the first or second best odds to win the Big 12 Conference. Um, so they can settle it on the field in Stillwater, which that's a game I'm, I'm looking forward to a ton. I know we don't get Baylor this week, but barring any setbacks, we should get Iowa State next week, and that game should be a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a big-time football game. And we talked about OU Texas a little bit. I, I don't think this is a vintage Oklahoma team. So I think if you're an OSU fan, I, I – you're always going to be concerned about winning that game because Gundy has an OU problem, but Gundy's had an OU problem against, you know, Heisman Trophy winning quarterbacks. And, you know, back in 2015, OU had the best defense in the conference. So he's, he's played much better OU team. So I think Mike Gundy watching OU Texas has to feel much better about that game. And I think OSU fans should too, because both teams to me, as you said, looked pretty average. So that's, that's encouraging for, for the OSU perspective. And look, there's a long way to go. I know OSU's look great. They've only beaten Kansas and West Virginia though. So they have so many more bigger games, so many more bigger questions to answer moving forward, but it's been a good start to the season for OSU. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Number four, Colby, uh, let's go to golf. Matthew Wolf nearly wins again. He has to settle for a playoff loss, finishes second, cashes a big check. This guy, is going absolutely nuclear, Colby. Was it, how much fun was that to watch? Makes that putt in the playoff. Of course, Martin Laird got close a couple times on 18, and he was really ahead most of the day. But, I mean, Wolf on Saturday makes three eagles on the back nine. Three eagles on the back <laughs> nine, one on the hole out on a par four. Uh, first guy to make three eagles on a nine since, like, 2006. Not something that happens very often, even for the best players in the world. And then on Sunday – it doesn't look like he's going to make it. Makes another eagle on 16 and gets himself in contention, gets in the playoff. Uh, first, I don't know his first playoff hole. Par three, he he didn't hit a very good shot into the par three from 195. I think he hit pitching wedge in from 195, by the way, which Crazy. it's downhill. I think it was downhill downwind, but still uh, 195 pitching wedge for Wolf. <laughs> but didn't get it close to the hole. Would have made par and Lair rolls it in on top of him. But second place check, second in the FedEx Cup right now. And he's 12th in the world, Carson. Brooks Kepka is 11th in the world. Matthew Wolf is 12th. <laughs> That's incredible. And again, he, he kind of got off to a slow start. He won as a sponsor's exemption at the 3M. And then he didn't have a top 20 for a long time. Uh, but now he has finished in the top five in four of his last 10 events, including two majors. I mean, and Colby, he's, he's only – He's a few putts from being a three-time winner, including a major with the PGA. I mean, he was rolling it so good on the PGA and just missed a ton of close putts down the stretch. And that's really what's, what was amazing about his 61, Colby. He missed eight – or wait, yeah, he missed eight putts from 16 feet and in and still shot 61. He literally could have shot like a 56. That's how – I don't – think it's it's hard to even describe how good of golf that is this guy has 
so much talent and he's going to win a lot on the PGA tour. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to watching his career evolve. I'm just trying to look at the guys who are right ahead of him. Tyrrell Hatton won in Europe this week. So he moved up to number 10 in the world, but Wolf's ahead of guys like Berger, Cantlay, Adam Scott, Fleetwood, Finau. He's ranked <laughs> ahead of all these guys, Tiger, Hideki, Paul Casey, Justin Rose. I mean, he's, he's quite a ways higher uh, in the world rankings than all these guys. And Victor Hovland's sitting there at 29 as well. So uh, he's now taking a, a big leap ahead of Hovland. Uh, recently, Hovland still played some good golf, but Wolf's been Wolf's been pretty elite lately. He's been, I mean, close to must-watch must TV if you're an Oklahoma State fan, uh, which is nice because the guy that Oklahoma State fans used to enjoy watching is now down to number 43 in the world. Shout out Ricky Fowler. Oof. He's that far down? 43. Man. That's brutal. Keeps missing cuts. Missed another one last week. Now the Masters is in a month, and if there's yeah. ever a year, Colby, if there's ever a year, Colin Morikawa won the PGA. If there's ever a year for a first-time Masters participant to win it, it'd be this year without fans and everything else. Does Matthew Wolf have a chance to win at Augusta? It seems like the course is the one he can just bomb and gouge, like he has other tournaments. Uh, DeChambeau's already talked about how he's going to take some absurd lines on some of those holes. I think on 13, he said he's going to hit it into 14 fairway <laughs> for a better angle into the green. Uh, what do you think about Matthew Wolf's chances at, at Augusta coming up here in a month? Yeah, I, uh, I definitely think he has a chance. I don't think he will win it. Um, I just think that Augusta, there are so many quirks on and around those greens. And we see it time and time again, guys who just have a lot of experience there are able to win that tournament. It's why Tiger was able to win it in 2019. He just knows every little break, every spot to miss it down to the exact foot, just exactly where it landed on that ridge on seven to get it to roll back down to the hole. It's just, I think at that course, I value experience more than I do just about anywhere because of the green complexes and because they're so difficult. Um, that being said, yes, he has a chance. He could win it. I think Bryson probably should be the favorite with the way he's playing right now. Uh, but yeah, Wolf will probably be uh, one of the top, I'd say probably one of the top 10 most picked players to win that tournament. And if you would have told me that a year ago, I would have thought you were crazy. Six yeah. months ago, I would have thought you were crazy. I think you're right though. The, the putter is what's prevented him from winning already. I mean, he, he has missed so many makeable putts, but which is weird because he was such a great putter in college. And that, that just shows you the difference in between the, the NCAA level and the PGA Tour level because he was a very good putter at OSU. And God, if he had made any putts, the PGA, he probably wins it. He wasn't winning the U.S. Open. DeChambeau was, was, was too good, but uh, he could have won over this weekend and his other second place as well at Detroit. But um, great start for him. And man, he's gonna be fun to watch at, at Augusta. Number five, uh, Mike Boynton, Cowboy Basketball. It's back. They're practicing on Wednesday, and you can watch it live. They're going to stream it online on, uh, I believe, on Twitter. Uh, you can stream live is what Mike Boynton says. But uh, are you fired up for basketball, Colby? You know, we had all the big news about the NCAA coming out and hammering them. We still haven't heard back about the appeal. But Cade Cunningham is in town. Mike Boynton has recruited a bunch of dudes, and uh, – are you going to tune in and watch some some Cowboy hoops? Uh, yeah, if I'm around Wednesday afternoon, I'll fire it up. I don't know what my plans are, but I, I want to watch Cade Cunningham. I am in on Cade Cunningham. He has been sold as this transcendent-type talent. Uh, I think he probably is that based on people who know a lot more than I am 
uh, watching him, observing him, and, and studying him. So I am in on Cade Cunningham. I am in on, uh, on Oklahoma State basketball. So I don't know what it's going to look like with the NCAA. We should be hearing pretty soon, though, by the way. They're dragging this out longer than necessary. We should be hearing sometime in the next few weeks, I would think, from the NCAA as to what their ruling is on the appeal and assuming that it's not just an overwhelming hatred for the town of Stillwater, then it should come back and wipe that postseason ban out. But you never know with the NCAA. They march to the beat of their own drum. Well, and I'm I'm curious to see what the NCAA does with a school like LSU where they, like, proved the coach was paying people. Like the coach, the head coach that's still there, not some assistant that was fired for his transgressions. So I – I'll be watching that very interestedly. I know, I know Mike Holder and, and Mike Boynton will as well, because what OSU did pales in comparison to what some of these other schools, like like Kansas, frankly, yes, have done. Kansas. But uh, I am curious to watch, and I, I just love the way Mike Boynton has opened up himself and his program. College basketball needs all the all the pub and the eyeballs they can get right now, and I think he does things the right way. He treats the media great. He's He's very open. And frankly, with the way the Lamont Evans thing played out, the FBI coming to campus, the NCAA now hammering them, I think a lot of coaches would have just shut things down and, and just kind of not wanted to talk or answer questions and, and just try to shut things down. And, and Boynton's done the opposite. And he's done nothing. He's done nothing but win over OSU fans with his demeanor and everything else. Now it's time to win Colby. And I I do like the team he's built. He's built his team very much like an NBA team. They're going to play small ball. They're going to have a bunch of long athletic kind of very a thunder-esque team in terms of when Steven Adams is on the floor, just a bunch of long lengthy dudes. And uh, I'm excited to see what they look like. Yeah, I am too. It's like you said, it's time to win. I've given Mike Boynton, pretty much every pass his first few years because, man, things have just not gone his way. He had to dismiss several guys. They've been dealing with injuries. They've had to have walk-ons. And at some point, you just don't have the guys to compete. But now you've got the guys to compete. And I understand they're young. But if Cade Cunningham is a one-and-done, which you assume Cade Cunningham is, then you have to make the absolute most of his one season in Stillwater. And if the NCAA doesn't allow you to play in the postseason, so be it. Go out and be the best team in the country up until that point and uh, make them look like fools for keeping you out and for keeping Cade out and not letting college basketball fans watch him in March Madness. So this is the year. This is the – I think I've said to this point, we know that Mike Boynton is an incredible guy. Love Mike Boynton. I don't think we really know yet how good of a coach he is, and I think that this will be our best year yet to figure it out because I think he's been overmatched for a few years. So uh, I'm I'm geeked for college basketball. I I hope that it goes off without a hitch, obviously – college basketball indoors I don't know what the fan situation is going to be like I'm just I'm just fingers crossed whatever the NCAA decides just let us have college basketball don't take Cade Cunningham away from Oklahoma State fans (laughs) exactly oh yeah I'm fired up for hoops Uh, I'm still in football mode but uh, I can't wait to watch Cade Cunningham either my uh my cousin from another family the Cunningham name will be uh, prominent at uh, Stillwater uh, let's hear from Chris University Spirit. Go to chrisuniversityspirit.com or chrisuniversityspirit.com and do all your cowboy shopping needs. Uh, Colby, what was your game day attire? Like, what, what was your go-to for when you're you're going to Chris University Spirit, you're going to buy something to wear to the game? What, what, what was your go-to game day attire? 
Yeah, I was never a big jersey guy. I was more of a t-shirt guy. Uh, and depending on the game, depending on whether I wanted to go orange, black, or white. So if it was a big game, like uh, obviously Bedlam, Texas, something like that, that was always the orange shirt, just full solid orange. Uh, other games, you know, Iowa State, Kansas State, West Virginia, games like that, I would usually rock the white or the black. Uh, and then, of course, whenever it gets cold, it doesn't matter because you just have to throw on your ski, ski gear. <laughs> yeah, you have to throw on your ski gear and who cares what you look like at that point. But yeah, early in the season, I was more of a t-shirt guy than a jersey guy. Yeah, it's always funny when it's those brutally cold winter games and the, the whole crowd is is just it's like a blackout because everyone's just wearing their their jackets. Twenty thirteen bedlam. Yeah, exactly. One of the worst days of my life. Twenty was that twenty thirteen? You said twenty thirteen bedlam when there yeah. was, was a student uh, at the time. There was literally I, snow. We were sitting and standing on snow, freezing. Oklahoma State was a pretty decent favorite in that game and got beat at home to lose the big 12 championship. It was horrible. I got in my car in Oklahoma city to drive to the game and my car said zero degrees. I was like, this is going to be a brutal day. And I was, I was working at channel five and they actually put me, we have, we have a live shot location up above the press box, which it's enclosed, but wind can get in there. And I about froze to death. It was, uh, it was not comfortable up there, but uh, yeah, you know, I know which one of those little garages up top, Oh yeah. It's, yeah. it was, that's where I was. And I was freezing my, you know, what off. So go to Chris, yeah, spirit.com and uh, yeah, get you some, who haven't seen a picture, like picture a 15 by 15 room that's inside, but it just has a garage door that opens to the stadium. <laughs> yeah. So yes, you're kind of three walls surrounded by brick, but then you've just got one opening to the world. So it, it helps with the cold, but it's still cold in there. Yeah, it's basically just left of where Dave Hunziker calls the football games up yep. above the press box. That's that's where I hang out a lot during game days. But uh, my go-to was I, I, T-shirt and jeans, man. That's like the Stillwater 101. That's what I would yeah. rock. But if I was like, you know, on a date or taking a girl I liked, you know, I might I might rock the coach's polo, tuck it in, look nice. That was kind of my my go-to was out with the boys. It was hat, t-shirt and jeans, but I could clean up a little bit if I had, if I had to. So that was, that was my go-to, but go to chrisuniversityspirit.com. You can buy all your spirit needs for the, for the game days. And they also do personalized custom t-shirt orders too. You can set up your own online store. Just give them a call at 405-377-0555. So we appreciate Chris's being with us again this season. All right, let's do a little bullets and BBs, Colby. Obviously, Oklahoma State didn't play a game uh, this week and aren't going to play one this coming week. But uh, let's go to the NFL. And I'll start. I was watching uh, Monday Night Football last night, and the Chargers, who have gone back to their throwback-type colors, which I love. The yellow pants are a little extreme, but at least they're wearing the powder blue. And they're playing in New Orleans – and they call a reverse for Tyron Johnson. The Tyron siren was released. And he's he's from – his hometown's like five minutes away from New Orleans. And this guy has been on a practice squad ever since he's left Oklahoma State. I always believed in his talent. And clearly he's proven to the Chargers that he can play at this level and they trust him to, to call a reverse his way. So, And he's also returning kicks and punts. So really happy for him. There's so many players in the NFL that are on practice squads that all they need is just – an opportunity and they can, they can show that they can play it. So I think, a, I think a Alan Lazard at green Bay, I think he was on practice squad for a long time. Now he's Aaron Rodgers' number one target. He was undrafted. So shout out to Tyron. It was fun to watch him on Monday night football. Yeah. It uh, Ty Tyron. Absolutely. 
Did Mason Rudolph have some dudes on that team with him or what? He had James Washington, Tyron Johnson, Marcel Aitman, Justice Oof. Hill, Chris Carson. Oof. I mean, Rudolph had some dudes around him. Well, they, they had Tyron, but they wouldn't play him. And that's kind of the genesis yeah. of my Tyron love is I was just calling for him to play and get targets. And that when they got him involved, he was amazing. Like that Bedlam game when James Washington gets hurt, he just instantly turns into the number one receiver. The Bedlam game the following year, he throws up the X after just mossing a dude in Norman. I mean, it's just – I think Tyron's one of the more underutilized players. He goes right up there with, with Tyree Kill, who for some reason they were playing at running back. But I, but I digress. Yeah, so my bullet for the week uh, is going to Chris Carson. Chris Carson, I drafted – I'm in two fantasy leagues. I drafted him in one. I traded for him last week in the other, and he is having a phenomenal season. I think he scored at least one touchdown uh, either on the ground or through the air in every single game. Seattle's 5-0, and and he looks like an absolute stud, like a, bo- a borderline pro bowl, uh, all pro running back in Seattle. And this is a guy who – Remember, you're talking about underutilized. I don't know if it was just because Justice Hill was doing such big things in Stillwater. Chris Carson, for whatever reason, is a much better NFL running back than he was a college running back. And I love, love, love to see it. That team is fun to watch. You've got him, Tyler Lockett, uh, of course, is from Tulsa, from Booker T, Trey Flowers on the defense, another Oklahoma State guy. So uh, bullets to the Oklahoma State Cowboys doing it big in Seattle. Yeah, I totally agree. Chris Carson has had a better NFL career than college, which is, which is crazy. Not even close. And it's, if you look back at his career at OSU, he was so highly regarded coming out of, you know, he's committed to Georgia. Uh, did he go Juco route? I can't quite remember, but he was supposed to go to Georgia at some point And I think switched over to OSU and he, he played a little, he, he hurt his hand at one point, and then he really, toward the very end of his, his tenure at OSU, remember him trucking all those dudes in Fort Worth? We really started to see yeah. what this guy could do, and he's been unbelievable in, at Seattle. And not only does he just run for power, like that touchdown run he had against the Vikings where he just looked like a grown man playing against a bunch of high school kids, just dragging dudes into the end zone. They wanted no part of tackling him. He's obviously great at that, but he's also a really good receiver. And he, he's, a, he's a really good, as you know, having him in fantasy, I, do, I have him as well. He's, he always goes in the fourth or fifth round when he should be going in the second or third. But, uh, man, he's been, he's been fun to watch, and that Seattle team's so good offensively. Uh, I, I'm happy for Chris Carson as well. And that's another guy. You're right, Coley. They had a lot of NFL dudes on that, those teams with Mason Rudolph. And, you know, we bag on – Gundy's recruiting a lot, and I think some of that's justified, but he clearly finds a way to get to get NFL talent on his roster because they, they had a plethora of it. Yeah, it's not always five-star guys, but they, they find a way to make it work. Uh, that's, that's our bullets. How about a BB? You got a BB for me? Oh, I got a BB for you. I'll give a BB. Tom Herman? Nope, nope, nope. <laughs> I, I thought about it. I wanted to give it to Tom Herman, but I've already ragged on him today, so I'm yeah. going to rag somebody else. Let's give a BB to SEC defense, Carson. SEC defense, round of applause. Oh, my gosh. For the 1,348 combined yards in the Alabama Ole Miss game, the 63-48 to 48 final score. Round of applause, a BB goes to the SEC defenses. You stuck up SEC people in your defenses. How do you like it now that the offenses have caught up? Because they were always going to catch up eventually. And they've caught up and surpassed the defenses in the SEC. Uh, and it is just, I think, hilarious 
to watch the SEC defenses get torched, uh, especially by Lane Kiffin. And that was the funniest part. Like Nick Saban claimed in the press conference in front of people seriously that he thought Ole Miss had their defensive signal calls. <laughs> and Lane Kiffin was like, dude, we, we had our play called before you guys even before we even lined up or you lined up. We weren't, we weren't paying any attention to your defense. Like, we're going fast. We were calling our plays before you. As soon as the guy was down and the referee blew the whistle, we were calling our play. Uh, so I thought that was funny. And this is what happens, Colby. You, you put Mike Leach in your conference. We've experienced that in the Big 12. This is just what happens. It just – it's osmosis. But uh, – Oh, by the I, way, Mike Leach gets a BB too. Oh, yeah. We, he's already – we're already ha- going through, like, the entire career arc of Mike Leach's 10 years at places in, like, the first three weeks. He's already lost the team. He's already about ready to fire everyone. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it's and, that, speed. and not only that, but – the LSU win doesn't look as good anymore now that they've lost to Missouri. It looks like LSU basically lost all their NFL talent, both their coordinators, and has fallen way back down to earth. Mississippi State scored two points on Saturday, Carson, against Kentucky. Two points. Kentucky had like 180 yards of offense total. It was a weird game. Their quarterback threw it for like 75 yards, and they won. <laughs> yeah. But no, to your point about the SEC – defense is getting caught and that this has been my point all along and it's it's showing now Uh, we all agree the sec has more talent on defense just look at the nfl draft no one's disputing that but when you're trying to compare a team from other conferences to the sec and their defensive numbers it's not a fair fight when the sec for years has been going up against a quarterback who will not be playing in the nfl the quarterback play has been terrible in that conference for the most part and they're playing inside a phone booth in power eye formation. There's no like spread offensive concepts negates so much of the advantages for defenses just by sheer space spacing. And you get a good quarterback with spread concepts. There's very little a defense can do. And that's what we've seen in the big 12. You get NFL caliber quarterbacks with spread offenses. I don't care if you have, an all SEC linebacker core, they're going to be out in space having to tackle people that are receivers and they're not going to. So I just, it's finally, they like they finally have gone to 2020 offensive football and you're seeing the result. It's really as simple as that. Yeah. I mean, it, it seems like even in the NFL, the over, it feels like it's hitting 80% of the time this season. And it's because those concepts have made their way to the NFL. There are more teams in the NFL now exactly. with dual threat quarterbacks who can run around uh, guys like Kyler, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers can move. Mahomes can move a little bit. Uh, Dak could move. Uh, shout out Dak. Get well soon. Um, so it, it's just everybody is coming around on offense. Everybody is learning more ways to be creative and beat defenses. And like you said, obviously the SEC has better defensive talent. But the reason y'all were playing games that were finishing at nine to six is because you were lining up with subpar <laughs> offensive talent and you were running the ball 70 times a game out of the power eye. <laughs> exactly. It was 1980 football. Now they're finally yeah. playing 2020 football. So I, I completely agree. BB for, for everyone involved with that. For me, my BB is, we talked a little bit about Texas. It's their punter, Ryan Bushevsky oh. from Australia. He does this Australian rugby punt where he hangs on to it for 15 seconds. It gets blocked earlier in the game. And then he punts it away. And OU has a really good return from Marvin Mims. 
the punter makes that this Ryan Bashevsky character makes the tackle, stands over Marvin Mims and then shoves him back to the ground. You are the punter. You were lucky to be on the team. You are not as even as important as the place kicker. What are you doing? You will get annihilated by your own team for doing that. You should have gotten annihilated by OU. You were the punter. What in the world was he thinking, Colby? I don't know what he was thinking on that play. I also would love to know what was going through his head on the punt that he had blocked, where he basically stood there. He, he got the snap. He watched the rush come. He just, like, looked at the rushers, <laughs> waited until they got around his personal protectors, and then tried to kick the ball. It was the dumbest blocked punt I've ever seen because the punter just held the ball and waited for them to get there. I He was, he was not operating at full brain function on Saturday. That was atrocious. Yeah, you've already done that boneheaded maneuver, and then you get a you get a personal foul while they're already in your territory. Oh my gosh, they they should have. Speaking of taking an Uber home, he should have had to Uber back to Austin for that. I would have let yes. the kicker punt for the rest of the game. Uh, a little bit of breaking news here: uh, Kansas and West Virginia is moving to Big Noon on Fox. It moves from FS1 to Fox on uh, Saturday. That is going to be an all-time low ratings number kansas at west virginia um see yeah, now people naturally are going to watch that colby and be like man the big 12 stinks this is their yeah. marquee game of the week Ugh. yeah if you're if you're flipping channels on saturday do yourself a favor and make sure that you don't accidentally stop on fox yeah that, that would they're be telling a horror movie from noon to three i would rather watch just about any other game Okay, that'll pretty much do it, Colby. You got one more interesting uh, – do you have one interesting thing? You took mine. I, that, that stat you read about Texas's records was exceptional. So my one interesting thing would that be – that from you? That was going to be my one interesting thing, but I think it was pertinent to the conversation we were having. So I thought you brought it up at a good time. I'll just add that the record of Texas from 2010 through 2019 is 71-57. and 57. That is horrendous. And uh, I tell you what, Colby, I, I'm perfectly content with Texas stinking. It's great for OSU. I remember when, when I was in college, you know, Colt McCoy kept coming back on him. Vince Young kept coming back on him. And Texas seemed insurmountable. OSU would always build this huge lead and Texas would always come back and win. And I literally told my friends, I don't know if OSU is ever going to beat Texas ever. And now it's all they do. So thanks a lot, Tom Herman and Charlie Strong and Texas. Yeah, Texas has been a complete disaster. I mean, 71 to 57, but they're scheduling giants in the non-con, though, like Maryland. I mean, it's hard to get around Maryland. <laughs> Crab cakes and football. That's what Maryland does. Crab cakes and football. That's what they're known for. Yeah, my, uh, my one interesting thing is that the schedule going forward for Oklahoma State gets a little dicey. Only one more scheduled in by week. You now have to, uh, assuming that you make the Big 12 championship game, your opponent will likely be coming off a bye. You will not. So my one interesting thing is just keeping an eye on the schedule moving forward for Oklahoma State because, uh, and really the entire Big 12, because it'll get dicey if we have many more cancellations or postponements. Yep, I'm with you. Well, that'll do it. Colby, we'll get back with you on uh, Friday. We'll probably ask for some Twitter questions, and if you have any, just shoot them off to me or uh, Colby Powell. My Twitter handle is at KOCO Carson. Colby is at Colby J Powell. So shoot us a tweet. If you have a question for the pod, we'll read it. We'll give you a shout out. And uh, Colby, thanks for joining me. We'll, uh, we'll get back with you on Friday. Absolutely. Sounds like a plan. Somebody stick the Baylor Bears. <laughs>